I'm Mel. And I'm Tosh. And welcome to Mahogany Mammology, an online dialogue pertaining to the concerns and carefree parenting of Black motherhood. Awesome. I do want to start off by giving a sponsor highlight as we are in the final days of the, well, we're, yeah, in the South by Southwest voting, we are asking your vote for us in the panel picker as we want to present our live episode um, on shifting the Black Mom reality. We will post a link in our show notes and you have until August 30th to vote. And now onto the show. Postpartum health is just as important, if not more important, as prenatal health for new and expected mothers, especially for Black women. If you listen to our third episode entitled The Black Maternal Birthing Experience with our guest Jen Sardui, we discuss many contributing factors to the disparities of healthcare among women during pregnancy. This, this serves as a second part of our Black Maternal Health episode. According to Psychology Today, Black mothers endure twice the risk of depression and anxiety compared to our white counterparts that often go untreated. Today, we will discuss postpartum care, the emotional well-being, and womb care for a stable, healthy fourth trimester. And we welcome our guest, Sister Freya Morani, is the founder and CEO of Root Mama. She is a certified doula, trained breastfeeding educator, childbirth educator, and wellness coach. Sis Freya provides intuitive and professional support to women, infants, and families during preconception, pregnancy, birth, and postpartum. She has a lineage of home birthing and midwifery, reaching back to her maternal grandmother and great-grandmothers. Freya became interested in becoming a doula after watching Shafia Monroe's presentation on the legacy of the Black midwife in 2011. She coupled her knowledge of healing the womb, inspired by Queen Afua, with her professional doula training to create the wellness company, Root Mama. Welcome, sis. Well, thank you. Thank you. So cool. happy to be with you all today. Cool. In the sisterhood, ready yeah. to share and, and dialogue. Yes. Love it. Love it. Mm -hmm. Now, you became interested in being a doula after watching um, Sister Monroe's presentation. What What was the light bulb that came on, like, what 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 about that presentation was it for you that said, hey, I want to do this? The light bulb for me when watching her experience, watching her presentation was it was common sense. Mm -hmm. And I'm a very common sense woman. Um, I want to do what works. I want to do what makes the next logical step. And so once I once she was presenting about physiologic birth, what does a mother need? How mm -hmm. to prepare, how to offer those things. Um Something we all learned in elementary school, gravity, right? True. Gravity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I was mm -hmm. like, yeah, I know about gravity. That's the base level elementary learning. So why are we on our back with our legs up? I was like, hold on. This is not making sense. How do you have two weeks off? That's not making sense if you need six weeks to, you know, to heal. Um, mm. If you need to breastfeed, if breast milk is the best thing for our babies, then why is it routine that we're offering a formula? So for me... It's just common sense. And I was like, wow, everything is kind of turned on its head. The way we do things as a routine is completely contradictory to actually what a mother and a new baby actually need. So that's what really drew me to it. I wasn't ready when I first watched it. Oh. Um, 
took me some time because it just seemed like really big shoes to fill. And I wasn't confident enough in myself that I could do that. Mm-hmm. But it planted a seed that bloomed maybe six months later. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool. cool. Mm-hmm. How long should a mom have a postpartum doula? We recommend, um, based off of her birth and experience, so if she had a, um, you know, a, a vaginal birth mm-hmm. uh, with really no um, hiccups or, you know, wasn't too long of a birth, mm-hmm. um, and she has a lot of, you know, other support, two weeks would be good. Two, oh. two, to, two to four weeks would be good okay. um, for her if she has a support system. Um, of course, if she's had a cesarean, we would recommend longer, you know, three to six weeks if she had a cesarean or really long vaginal birth. Maybe she tore or maybe there were other complications. It just depends on her birth and experience. That would determine. So there isn't like a one size mm-hmm. fits all doula mm-hmm. for a mom and or yeah. a period of time. It just really depends on... Um, how the birth goes, how is she doing with breast breastfeeding? Like, does she have unique anatomy that would um, warrant different types of uh, latching techniques? You know, maybe her nipples okay. are flatter or her breasts are fuller or whatever the case may be. So we would, we don't, we would look at that mom and take in her experience and really tailor something that would be unique for her. So sometimes people, if they don't have a lot of support or they just like to have that extra hand, they might get a doula for three months. Nice. Yes. Mm -hmm. I say nice like it's a luxury. Like, nice. But we deserve luxurious things. It is a luxury. But we're luxurious women that deserve luxurious care. Hello, somebody. Right? And it shouldn't be a one and done deal. Get Mm -hmm. out. Let's go. You know? Mm -hmm. But some people don't think about it that way, I guess. This is true. This is true. So, Mm -hmm. interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, For those who don't know, but a postpartum doula is someone who provides physical, emotional, and informational support to a woman and her family. So people should keep that in mind. So um, what type of care, since based upon that definition, is a postpartum doula giving to someone else in the family besides the the mom? What I've seen um, in my own work and working with my colleagues as far as incorporating the family and serving the family as well as the mother mm-hmm. is that a lot of times people don't know what to do. They want to be helpful, but they may not necessarily know what is necessary for a mother and a new baby. Um, they may have never in their life seen breastfeeding ever. Mm-hmm. We're, we, that's just the truth. So they just don't know what to expect. So there are mental blocks and questions that they have and well how do we know how much milk the baby's getting like and they may have anxiety about that because they can't see the milk transfer so you have to educate the family well this is what's going on and this is how we know when the baby's full and what you can do to help us is birth the baby and showing them how to bond with the baby because some people feel displaced because they were looking forward to giving the baby the bottle and in their mind and the way they've been raised that's how you bond with the baby give the baby the bottle So here, this mom is shaking up the family dynamic. She's shaking Mm -hmm. up how things have always been done. And sometimes there can be tension with the family. So educating them on stuff, showing them how they can get involved, showing them um, what they can do, empowering the dad to be the protector. Like, Mm -hmm. kick these people out. Kick your mom out. Like, shut it down. Protect your wife because she needs to heal in this time. And so she's not going to do it. She's tired and she's... 
um, to, you know, she's expended so much energy. So this is now your role. And he's like, okay, now I can do that. You know, yeah. and so kind of pointing different family members in the right direction and letting them go. Because the two people who are the most important to a mother and her breastfeeding and healing journey is her mother and her partner. So we mm. want to make sure that they're on board with the postpartum care plan and answer any questions, you know, um, if they have any hesitations or, um, what would I say, like, you know, biases or, you know, griefs, it's important to educate them and help them feel empowered with it because they're going to directly affect her ability to meet her wellness goals. Right. right. It feels like it's much uh, like the next level of not, not necessarily having a nanny, but it dispels a myth of what a nanny is versus someone just coming into your home and being more, you're more of a lactation consultant plus that is what it seems like. Right. I mean, actually, I was I was just thinking like this is why it might be important to have this conversation right before giving birth, so that the continuum of education persists mm-hmm. post having the baby, postpartum. Hello, but you also <laughs> mentioned uh, the idea of her mom and the spouse being the most important person, or I would say maybe the mothering kind of role, because sometimes mom, the mother. Uh, the grandmother, the maternal grandmother may not be available at the time of birth. Right. Or, yeah. you know, so so someone who is in that mothering, I guess, the maternal mothering role, whether that be, it can be a good, you know, family friend or, or, or that woman, that new mom's older friend, or it can be a godmother or just somebody in that village, not necessarily her mother, because maybe they don't have that best relationship. In my personal experience, there's always a longing that the mother, the mom that just gave birth for her mother, even if they're not speaking, even if they have a contentious relationship, um, even if she's thinking it's not going to go well, there's always that longing. So that's just something emotionally that we have to help the mother tend to. Um, If the mother has passed, it's very hard for a new mother. It's very hard. So... We have to show her how to still incorporate her mother in a spiritual way and thinking about different types of advice that her mother may have given her when she was alive. It just that relationship becomes really important. So it has to be tended to. And if there's another mom, like a aunt or grandmother mm-hmm. or something like that, that can be in the mom's, uh, that can be in her, in her space and support her in that way, we definitely want to foster that. Okay. When would you recommend someone reaching out to to Root Mama for postpartum doulaship? I would say when they're pregnant, if possible. Okay. Because like um, Tasha was saying, it's important that we can kind of keep the continuum going. Okay. So, and, and from some very recent experiences that I've had with things popping up that I wasn't aware of, I realize it's really important to do that prenatal planning a session with a family who's going to be the most um, connected to the mother and be in the household. It's it's really, really important. We need to know her mental health history, practitioners that she's working with, if it's okay, if the doula can communicate with other practitioners on her behalf about different things that she may need. Things of that nature become super, super important. And then 
thinking about different scenarios. Well, if you have a C-section, let's plan for this. Uh, if you, you know, if you have sutures, let's plan for this. Okay. Um, what are some different days? And then also thinking about the availability of other people. Because a lot of times people are like, oh, all my friends work or all my family works and nobody mm-hmm. has time for me. But sometimes people could order you soup Very and true. send it to the house mm-hmm. or uh, just you know, or have your laundry done and folded and, and brought back to you. So you just never know the creative ways that people can contribute to your life, you know, while you're while you're healing. Mm-hmm. Um, that may not be that what we think in our minds, like, well, somebody has to come here and do all these things. It doesn't necessarily have to all be that way. And then people don't know, well, how could I help if I have, if I'm working full time in this, they want to help. Mm-hmm. So just trying to prenatally think, well, who all is in your life? It may even be coworkers that would, that would like to True. contribute something if they had an opportunity to. So just help the family kind of walk through. So if they're pregnant, that would be ideal. But if they've just had their baby and they run up um, on something, then they can reach out at any time and we could get started. Hmm. That's good. So it's kind of like a really good, way to incorporate into your birth plan yes we call it a postpartum plan oh okay that's a good way of doing it Mm -hmm. interesting i'm gonna gonna have to consider this um not right this second (laughs) something you want to tell us no no we're not we're not gonna put that out there no rumors um but no it's really it's really good to know um what kind of questions can mothers or current mothers expect to ask, um, maybe like to help them have this be covered in their insurance, like postpartum doulaship. Can that be part of their insurance? I'm not sure. Is that an option? Yeah, a lot of private insurance do have funds for okay. postpartum, and especially when you get into the nicer plans, some of the PPO plans, of course, you have more options with those nicer plans. Okay. So you want to see what kind of postnatal support that they have. Um, they may have home health um, benefits that could be used for oh. uh, for postpartum doulas. Okay. And then also, like, if they have even pediatric care um like home visits so that you don't have to take, you know, you don't have to take your baby out. If Let's say you're monitoring the baby's glucose levels or the baby was jaundiced a little bit. There are people that can come to your house and and look at that. Um, you don't have to necessarily be ripping and running the streets trying to get to the pediatri- pediatrician's office. So if you have those benefits, definitely look into them. Sometimes they have lactation benefits as well oh. um, so that they would cover a lactation consultant. Um or any service that you get around lactations, and sometimes they cover classes too. So if you wanted to do like CPR class or baby care class, um, a lot of times that is is covered. And then if you have a flexible spending account, of course you have a lot more leeway with how you spend that. Um, mm-hmm. There's like a long list of things that would be covered. Um, so the only so the process with that is usually for any service that's related to doula. The family would pay out of pocket and then they would get the reimbursement from their insurance company. Okay. If you have the flexible spending account and you have a, like a spending card attached to it, then yeah. you could use that. But then also HSA would pay for, uh, birthing and postpartum, postpartum, uh, doulas as well. So you may just need hmm. a letter of necessity, you know, saying, yes, 
she's pregnant and she needs extra help in these areas from your OB or from your midwife. And then that's submitted as a packet to the insurance company. Mm -hmm. So it's always good to just ask. If you are denied, you can appeal it usually up to three times and for uh, six months usually. Nice. So you just have to prove that you've saved the insurance company money because like maybe like, you know, you're avoiding, you know, postpartum complications and that would have cost them $10,000 had you been hospitalized, but you weren't. So give me the 2000 for my doula. Yeah. <laughs> Makes sense. No, that's, that's a good appeal. That's interesting. And that's a good way to look at it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I, I think about that as uh, as we get into, you know, redoing insurances, you know, all that comes up at the end of the year and people need to look at, you know, do I need to upgrade, downgrade? Absolutely. So if you're you're newly married and you're thinking about expanding your family, you know, you might want to go heavy on the insurance, you know, spend more than you normally would Mm -hmm. when you're picking your plan because you'll know you can use those services. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you might, you know, the next open enrollment or whatever, downgrade a couple of notches. But it's good. I mean, because usually, like, we have in our minds that we want to get pregnant, but it's 90% of the time, like, a surprise. Like, oh, I'm pregnant. Wow. I mean, yeah, I guess I, what? I, that makes sense I that I'm trying, pregnant. But <laughs> I wanted to be this year. Yeah. Yeah. It's always a surprise. So just kind of have your insurance on deck. Yeah. That's a good, that's smart. Yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, can, are you permitted to tell us what, like, price ranges people should expect or anticipate regarding doula postpartum doula services right and i know you have listeners all over the world yeah so so i know it varies state to state or maybe maybe what you've kind of yeah so i'll talk to the audience about dallas so in the dallas fort worth area you can expect to start at about 25 an hour up to 50 dollars an hour um depending on your doula's experience level and how many families they've served but most people start at about 25 dollars an hour Mm -hmm. okay People Mm -hmm. can budget. Um, So I know we talk about the mental health postpartum, but let's dive into the womb health. Um, You want to describe what that is, womb health postpartum? Sure. So again, based off of the birthing experience, that would, you know, determine that healing journey of that particular womb. But Mm -hmm. just in general, the womb has been expanded, you know, 10 times its size or more to accommodate the baby. Um, Your womb is a muscle and an organ. It had a placenta attached to it, which is the size of about a small dinner plate. And that placenta was an organ that your body grew just to serve your baby, and then it expels that organ. So all those capillaries are open, and they have to close a little bit at a time. And then you have all of the other, um, you know, fluids and things that were supporting the baby and now all that has to be expelled so your uterus has to shrink down to its original size and it needs to go back to its original place and it needs not adhere to any other organs all the other organs have to shift back into place and your digestion has to get back into order so there's a lot going on internally even when the mom feels like oh I'm ready to you know run a marathon now I'm ready to get back Uh and it's two weeks I'm ready to your body is still healing inside. It's still healing inside. So when we recommend that six weeks, we're not just thinking about, I think sometimes because of the the daily grind of everyday life, we're always thinking about like, what's the one next thing I need to do? Like, mm. what's the next bill I need to pay? What's the next, you know, immediate fire that I need to put out of my life? 
But really what we're trying to do is we're trying to protect you at 70 years old so that you're no, you don't have incontinence, mm-hmm. mm. right? You're not walking yeah. around in a diaper because when you were in your 20s and 30s, you ran outside and wanted to just live your life, your best life, and you're, you just had a baby. In addition to that, we always have this, this mentality of that bounce back, right? Yeah. Everybody wants that bounce back body. And which, if you are a healthy person, that's I can't even say that's fine because to me, I feel like our bodies take up to a year to heal. You're right. You know? So mm-hmm. when we see other people who has birthed a child and they are back down to pre-pregnancy you know, weight or pre-pregnancy shape and we kind of get envious of that, I don't want our listeners to be out here thinking like bounce back body is is a thing. Like it should not be a thing. Like. We don't recommend that. We don't recommend that because, like you said, our bodies, our organs and so forth are trying to get back into shape and and everything like that. So, Yes. mm, How does your practice help with womb health? Are there any specifics? So um, we do do just the counseling. Um, We counsel on nutrition because that has a direct effect on um, cause your bowels sit right on top of your uterus. So if your digestion is off, it's gonna, it can knock your uterus out of alignment. You could have painful periods or your uterus could not shrink back after you, um, after you give birth. So the nutritional counseling we do, um, we do the yoni steams mm-hmm. as well. And that helps oh, to cool. promote circulation. Um, do you we, want to describe what that is, a yoni steam? Sure. So the yoni steam is when we use organic herbs, so not essential oils, but like the actual whole plant. And then we steam that. And then so the so, so some of the properties from those herbs are in that steam. And then it goes into the, the vaginal area. So you'd kind of like sit, hover above it. Mm-hmm. You could squat over it or sit on a special stool that would um, allow you to be seated and then um, the, give the your body at the steam access to your body so that it can just come in, um, warm the tissue. Um, that's one of the big things with the African model of care during postpartum. It's all about warmth, 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 warmth on the body. Yeah. And so most time when you have your baby, they put like cold packs on you and ice packs on you and give you cold water and give you ice chips and give you ice water. That's a very Western way to deal with birth, birthing and postpartum. So with the African-centered way, we deal with warmth for the woman. So warming oils like ginger oil, sesame oil. Um, so those are the things that we would we would massage the mother with because when you're sitting as you should be and laying down as you should be for that six weeks, you're not moving your lymph system. So traditionally, women get massages three times a day. What? In Africa, yes, by family members, mother-in-laws. Yes, three times a day. I missed out. Your arms, especially, and your calves, because those are the extremities that are furthest from your heart. So they just we just massage. So that's what I do. I come in and just massage the mother and show a family member how to do that and mm-hmm. when they should do that um, to help with cir- to promote circulation with the warming oils. So we do moxa treatments, which is another that's a Chinese method that we incorporate to uh, promote healing and uh, circulation to the womb. Um, so yeah, those are some of the things we do. We show the mother how to wrap her belly. So we don't Mm -hmm. like, we're not wrapping for you to have a snatched waist. We're wrapping to support your organs as they go back into place. So when you are up and ready to 
go to the bathroom or walk around the house a little bit, you just have a little bit of support on your organs so that everything can Mm -hmm. shift back. That's cool. I love that you were describing a lot of African traditions with womb health. Why do you think, do you think like uh, the, how I want to say, how do I want to go about this? Do you think like the, the Black woman's history historically like we've had a a supportive kind of womb health or supportive like postpartum I'm thinking like slavery times and Mm -hmm. things like that do you think do you you know what are your thoughts behind that do you think we've had a very successful womb health and if, if if not you know what 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 are the complexities behind that does that make sense we are still dealing with the ramifications of that slavery and sharecropping and low-wage jobs, we are still dealing with that mentality because usually when you talk to older school Black women, it's just part of the culture that we think don't spoil the baby, don't pick up the baby, don't breastfeed the baby. That baby needs to grow up. That baby needs to walk as quickly as possible, have teeth as quickly as possible, be able to eat solid foods. And we think it's our culture, but it's not our culture. It's It's our adaptation to oppression because we need, I have pictures of two-year-olds picking cotton. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I have those pictures. So so back then, as black women, the the goal was to get your child on the field as quickly as possible. So they need to be self-sufficient. They need to be eating big food and they need to have teeth. They need to be walking. And they need, so. And you don't want to be too attached to the child because the child could be taken away from you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So don't pick the child up. Don't bond with the child. You know, look at the child, and you know, but don't bond because you don't want to the heartbreak of losing that child. So those are the things that we're still combating and um, we're still working on it. We have to, we have to tell people, you know, you can't spoil a baby. Right. Your baby's not manipulating you. Your baby is crying because they have a need. And we're empowering people to show them how to meet their child's needs. But I'll back up. I'll back up a little bit because a lot of black women don't know how to meet their own needs. Ooh. Okay. Well, well, go ahead and speak on that. They don't know how to meet their own needs. Come they on. don't know how to communicate, I need and fill in the blank. That's really revolutionary for a lot of black women. Well, we also are a very independent set of human beings, right? Black women specifically. But we also don't ask for help. Right. Right. I'm not saying that to be like on a positive spin, right? right. That's no, not, that's yeah. not. Independence can only get you so far, right? And then you turn around and then you're you're at the apex by yourself, right? Mm-hmm. That's very true. So you're right. I agree with we don't ask for help. We don't communicate because one, we're probably not sure if that help is going to be provided to us. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. And then two, it is that sign of weakness, right? Mm-hmm. So it is a cyclic idea of being that super mom, right? And it's it's cyclic in that, okay, well, I, I'm not sure in our in our own crazy logic, you know, black women's logic, like I'm just not gonna ask because maybe I asked once in the past and they said no. So I'm like, I what's done is done, right? Shut down that idea. So, you know, it's it's one of those things like we have to try to break out of these myths, we've got to start breaking out these stereotypes to say like, all right, well, if she tells me no, that's fine. Let me go ask somebody else and right. until I get a yes. Well, I think that kind of goes back to what you're talking about in terms of maybe identifying other people when you're talking about postpartum doula and bringing in 
you you said family, but it could be a coworker. It could be uh, another support group. It could a neighbor. be a neighbor, mm-hmm. you know, and that's that's part of the postpartum doula plan is right. to identify Joe Joe Smith or Josephine Smith across the street that hey you know maybe that's a good bonding time too with your neighbors as that's true. you know what i mean like neighbor across the street you've seen them a few times you know you get to know them all right you know what i, I may need a neighbor to they could even just help pick up packages or take get, get your, your mail, mail and yeah. yeah. the, the door so you don't have to go out this hot and we're in and texas let me tell so. you, yeah, yeah water the say, grass if yeah. you're, if and you're I will a single say mom this, or it doesn't matter mom. i think once once a neighbor or somebody in your circle identifies that you are pregnant, I mean, it it, it kind of breaks down some of that wall, you know? Yes. Like, they, they are very open and willing. I think about when I was pregnant and I had just moved in my neighborhood and everybody was like, oh, my God, I remember, you know, yeah. you had the baby. So it breaks down some of those those barriers culturally and racially, I will say, you know? Yeah. Um, so your neighbor absolutely is, is probably very important, if not more important, to help you um, with your packages and cook your food and give yeah. you snacks. And, and I just want to yeah, back up to this idea of recognizing your own needs. And mm-hmm. it's a revolutionary act. Right. It really shows you've gone from girlhood to womanhood when you're mm-hmm. able to recognize your needs and honor your needs. That's the next step, right? Honor your needs. And so what I found is that oftentimes having children can be a catalyst for women to really go into the next phase of their womanhood Mm -hmm. um it really if you've been not dealing with internal stuff that you have like not recognizing your needs and speaking that when I start talking about responding to the needs of the infant and you know you're like well what emotional needs do they have that makes them think about well what emotional needs do I have do I need a hug you know do I need to be cradled you know, do I need a break? Do I want some more milk? Like, what what do I need? It really makes you think about that because if if this infant does not care about bills, this infant doesn't care about what's on TV, all they care about is their basic needs. And so it really forces women to deal with that aspect and it can be a reflection and help you have self-inquiry to think, what are my needs and are they being met? Have I communicated my needs? And so I find that to be... Um, a revolutionary time in women's lives. Hmm. Is that a, one of your questions that you ask moms? If like it comes up, absolutely. So if it comes, but like you don't the, initiate it. No, it usually comes up in conversation. Okay. Um, okay. A lot of times, like millennial mother, I mean, millennial moms have a huge breakdown with their baby boomer moms, right? That comes up a lot. Do do, do it, tell? Do you mind taking a um, yeah? Well. We talked a little bit about, like, what if the relationship with the mother is contentious, right? So we talked about that. Mm -hmm. I found that even if it is and they don't even really speak to each other, there's just something that they're like, I just want my mom to be there, though. I just want my mom to come. Like, there's just this longing. Um, We have—it's just—it's a a breakdown, I think, of communication because I think millennials are a little bit more in tune with— their emotions and they also have more of a optimistic outlook on what they can do like Mm. they kind of feel like well I could do that I could make you know a business or I could start this or start that or whatever Mm -hmm. and I feel like baby boomers are more it has to be like this and I have to work 
this job like this for, you know, this amount of time and I, and it has to be like this. And so because millennials are more in tune with their emotions, they may say something like, you know, I feel like you don't care about me when I call you, you send me the voicemail or I call you to talk about my day at work, but you start bringing up like drama with my aunt. And what the baby boomer heard was, you're, you're horrible. I don't like you. So <laughs> yes, they, they have a hard time empathizing with others experience from a non-judgmental place. And they kind of interpret a lot as attacks, which really breaks down communication. So the millennial doesn't want to tell the parent how they really feel, the, the mother specifically, because they will feel, they know that it's going to be interpreted as attack. And so, and then the baby boomer's like, well, she's so sensitive. So I'll just talk about other topics and not her so that I don't have to deal with her emotions. And so that's like not a real relationship. If you're pretending and you're pretending and we're not being honest, and, and it becomes so unfulfilling for both sides. It is an empty conversation. It's so unfulfilling. And, and they're you have longing, this little baby that's they're longing for their mothers to be in their lives in a meaningful way. And it's 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 either contentious or unfulfilling communications every time. So that's something that comes up a lot. So like wow. Melissa was 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 saying, do you think having that baby will help kind of break down or open up rather some of those communications between the millennial child and the baby boomer? Without tools, no. Really? Without tools, no. It just it just a baby, another person in the mix and oh. dysfunction. Oh. They need you need real tools and willingness to be a, to you need to submit to the willingness to try something new to try something new and if that those things aren't there then it's just going to be a, a child in dysfunction i feel like during like the second semester during the second semester or trimester whatever we call it trimester trimester mm-hmm. um that's like when you really got to like have that conversation with your moms or your mother-in-law you know what I mean? Like, and break down if there were any barriers or go to a therapist or not that you wait to go to a therapist, but using that time to go to a therapist and t- start working on that mental and psychological help. Yeah. Because you're manifesting thus in the baby, if right. I'm hearing you correctly. Right. And it's not going to get any better. So you might as well make it better. So when baby comes, it makes it more of a harmonious, relaxing. And I'll just say it's not time. a one conversation type right. of thing. Oh, no, and no, it's no, not no. a two yeah, conversation you, type of thing. I think it's getting tools and practicing. Yes. How can you practice hearing and not hearing attack? How can you listen to someone and try to recognize their needs, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's a lot that's one reason why black women end up being independent and they I'll just do it myself. Nobody cares. They have this underlying belief that that I just have to do it myself. I have to figure it out. I have to make a way because they have been chronically neglected as a as a little girl. So one thing that I do do with a lot of my clients when we do our uh, like about at the six week point between six weeks and two months. I do a meditation, a guided meditation of the birthing experience and usher them from taking that birth uh, energy and moving it into their their motherhood and how that energy can heal the family, right? 
So they have to really tap back into what was it like to be a little girl? Because if that little girl inside of us as women, we still have that little girl in us. And Mm -hmm. if she's scarred and she didn't have her needs met and she was chronically neglected, she may have looked nice and been fly and, you know, and all of that. But sometimes she just wanted her mother to hug her. Mm -hmm. Sometimes she just wanted to crawl in her mom's lap and tell her mother about her day. Not to have nice things or go on, you know, to Disney World. Sometimes she just, like, she liked a boy and he didn't look back at her. And she didn't know what to do. She didn't know how to relate to boys. And no one ever told her, baby, this is what, you know. And so she just went through her 20s messing up. Mm -hmm. Messing up. Mm -hmm. Not having the guidance. Mm -hmm. So... You know, we have to really tap into that little girl inside of us and think, you know, what did she need and how can I how can I mother her now? Because mothering that little girl inside of you is going to give you the power to, to in the really mother your child from a different place, from a place of healing. Because sometimes I've seen it so much. We know what we don't want and we say what we don't want. Well, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to do this to my child because I I had this and I had that. But without healing yourself, you somehow (laughs) always manage to perpetuate the exact same thing that happened to you. (laughs) So you have to mother yourself and that will give you the strength and the power to be able to mother your, your child from a powerful place, a place of healing. Cool. Cool. Awesome. I hope they're hearing you. I know. I, I know. That's a word. I hope they're hearing you today. And so, well, let's let's kind of dive back. I know we kind of went side with, as an aside to our womb health, but how does womb health Im- improve the black the black maternal health rate? So, are we talking preconception? Preconception womb health. Mm. Hmm. Are, well, we can. Okay. Yeah, so we can. Okay. So speaking from a preconception um, point, it directly affects the pregnancy experience. So we don't want to have a mother who's pregnant, who's been neglecting her possible underlying womb issues. And then we're like, okay, she's pregnant. Now we need to roll out all the stops. Here's your prenatal vitamins and go to prenatal care. Because at that point, it's not very many interventions that we can really do. You know, it's really just trying to manage at that point. And so then that would dictate the the birthing experience and then also the postpartum experience. So you want your hormones to be balanced, for example. So if you have irregular periods um, or symptoms of PCOS, that's something to be remedied in the preconception phase because there's hormones that kick off that are going to make your pregnancy viable. There's hormones that will kick off to make your your delivery smooth. There are hormones that kick off that help your uterus shrink back and help you lactate and um, balance your mood and your healing. So Mm -hmm. if you start off and you're having hormonal issues, we kind of gives us an indication that this may be a difficult pregnancy Mm -hmm. experience, right? Mm -hmm. What is PCOS? Polycystic ovarian syndrome. So that's when um, there's there's cysts that grow on the ovaries that can make extra testosterone in women. So sometimes mm-hmm. they'll have facial hair, they'll have a deeper voice, they'll um, have irregular periods. So th- those are some of the um, some of the things. And then they're also at risk for just for diabetes. And if you have gestational diabetes, that puts you at a high risk of de- developing diabetes later in life. Mm-hmm. So um, what happens? What I tell people is like, um, okay, so when you get pregnant. Any type of health problem that you had that may have not been bothering you could flare up when you're pregnant. We think about it because all your organs are taxed. So if your pancreas was doing all right, 
you know, trying to support you on your junk food diet, once you get pregnant, it's like, I'm tapping out. Uh, gestational diabetes, I, I can't, you know? And mm-hmm. so then, you know, the, the insulin is just totally uncontrolled. So um, we have to really look at our wellness before we get pregnant. Um, it's so, so important because it really dictates a lot. Like, how is this birth and experience going to be? Are you going to hemorrhage? Um, if you have, have you had, you know, if you've had fibroids and you have to have surgery on your uterus, that determines like if you can get pregnant, how you can give birth and what that healing process is going to look at. So awesome. get awesome. your well woman exams, yeah. stay yeah. on top of it, you know, mm-hmm. And so that's cool. a good, that's a good Very way to cool. think about it. Absolutely. And so, well, you mentioned the well woman, and we also want to talk since it, we're talking basically the this is August, and it's the end of and at the end of August, we're talking about uh, Black Breastfeeding Week and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, like you're mentioning, well woman, that healthcare overall providing that well woman or Black woman healthcare will definitely help reduce some of these disparities among Black women. Um, preconception and otherwise. So um, are you participating in any uh, Black breastfeeding events or anything like that? Yes. Yes. Yes, I will be participating, I think, uh, here locally in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. I'll be going to the Crunchy Boutique event. Yes, yes. So I think they're having a brunch or something. Okay, okay. um, I've launched, I know we're going to talk about my stuff at the end, but I have a free breastfeeding support group. Please, that's what that's where I was going. You're with going? That. Okay, yes, I was like, right. can we find out more about that? Yes. So go to rootmama.co, click on breastfeeding club at the bottom of the page, and you can you can join for free. We meet, and so we support Black women. I created this because I was sending women to La Leche League. They were going to one meeting, and they never went back because for various reasons. And so, you know, if La Leche League, I mean, and I'm not trying, I feel like La Leche League, if they're, what they're doing is working and they're serving a demographic of women, I think they should keep doing that, keep doing what's working for you. And so if our women go and they're like, eh, not feeling it, we should create something for them. Mm -hmm. We shouldn't have to lobby and beg La Leche League to change. They've been around for 50 something years. So we created the Kokomo's Breastfeeding Club that is specifically supportive and nurturing to the Black uh, breastfeeding experience. Awesome. That's wonderful. How often does that meet? We meet the second and the fourth Tuesday of the month um, at our location in Duncanville. And we have a lot of interest from North Dallas. So if I get a couple more women, we'll, we'll make another uh, nice. group in North okay. Dallas. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And we'll for those it. of you who are not in Dallas, please do reach out to Sister Freya and maybe she you can... Give them some tips on how to start another club in their area. Absolutely. I'm, in fact, um, I'm I'm getting ready. Maybe by the time this airs, I will have my top eleven uh, black advocacy groups nationally. Okay. Um, I'm working on a blog post now, so definitely check that blog post out because those are national organizations, and they cool. should have resources that you can find in your local community. Awesome. Are you on Instagram, Face? Um, you already mentioned kind of Facebook, I guess, but uh, Instagram, Twitter, any of those or? Yes. Um. Um. IG is the best place to find me at root mama nice cool all right awesome and also just check out google various activities locally and nationally for mm-hmm. black breastfeeding week that they will have to support us yeah i think Can if I you go to national uh national black breastfeeding week which is that last work? week yeah. of august i think they have all the events listed awesome okay. all around the country Cool. Very cool. And if you want to start, if you want to have your own event, you can. Mm-hmm. Yes. You just, you know, 
it doesn't take much to get moms together and talk about breastfeeding and celebrate breastfeeding. So if you're looking to attend an event or if you want to start your own event, you can definitely go on go on to that website and and get it going. Cool. Well, we definitely thank you, sis, for coming out and discussing. We appreciate you. We appreciate you. Awesome. I appreciated this dialogue. Thank you. And with that, please check out additional resources and links in our show notes, including Sister Freya's complete bio and where to find her and more. We ask that you rate and review this and other episodes on iTunes and our website. Then continue the conversation via Facebook, Instagram, and our Twitter pages. Until next time, this is Mel. And I'm Tosh. And we thank you for listening to Mahogany Momology. Bye-bye.